Welcome back to another episode of Sean and Ed's Duke Baseball. Over there, that's Sean. Hi. And you are? I'm Ed. Nice. Yes. And together, we are. We're doing baseball. Yes. Both and, of us. Yes. If uh, your cat doesn't unplug. Oh, good lord. He's almost Jesus. fucking Christ. <laughs> he is a big boy. He is a... Get out of here, Daniel. Oh, who's that? That is our very dear friend. Our dear friend. Max Lennox. Aw, dear friend. Friends for years. Yeah. Years yeah. and years. So many years, more of a caribou friend, if you ask uh-huh. me. Uh-huh. There it is. Said, yep. Yeah. He uh, said that a couple minutes ago, and we told him to shut the fuck up and save that for the podcast. I don't feel like it hit his hit heart the second time. It did not yeah. land as well the second time. No. Uh, but it's in there now. But it's it was good anyway, regardless. Uh, Max is We here. are a bi-weekly History podcast? Baseball history. Baseball history podcast? Specifically. Specifically, where we exchange stories from baseball history. And last uh, time I told Sean a story, so today Sean's going to tell me a story. And him and Max have no idea what I'm going to tell them. No, we so, have not a clue. Uh, before you tell the story, we should uh, implore people to follow us on our social medias, which is our Twitter is at doing baseball, our Instagram is at doing underscore baseball. Uh, our website where all these are hosted is doingbaseball.podbean.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Please. Tell us what you think. Five stars, please. Who knows? Who knows? I Either just way, would also implore subscribe. you to say subscribe what you yes, Subscribe as well. Subscribe as well. Uh, so our dear friend Max is with us. I got a fantastic story for you two. Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh Oh, well. You cut you off guard. Yeah, a bit, a bit off guard, but are we all off guard right now? Yeah, exactly. Nobody's doing much right now. And yeah. like, tell us what you're up to. Same as everyone else. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I might have a little bit of a food blog coming mm. out. It's going to be called Max Munch. Oh, my um, God. I have no idea how it's going to be that's formatted. Also, that's also your porn <laughs> your alter ego. It's your porn hey, name? Porn name, Max Munch. Yes. <laughs> You look like a porn star with that mustache right, right now. All right, let's, yeah. they can't see that. Let's take it back to Max. Yeah. Well, yeah. Max hopefully, Munch? I'll. Hopefully, what do you, what do you cook? What do you? What do you, what's 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 your plans at least? Oh, you are a fantastic cook. Oh, thank you. Well, mostly it's going to be just me writing. Like you know how people complain about people writing these, these like essays before they get to the recipe. Mm-hmm. It's going to be lots of that plus like very little recipes. <laughs> so like, <laughs> if you're looking for recipes, you can. Fuck right off. If you want awesome <laughs> stories about food that you think lead to a recipe, this is not the place. Yeah. It's just awesome stories about food. Yeah. All right. So Speaking I have awesome ma- stories. Maybe like one recipe. All right. All right. Either way. That's amazing. We'll check it out for sure. Uh, we'll let everybody know uh, whenever that drops. Uh, but I do have an awesome story for you today. Uh, so we talk much about the 1800s and how 1800s was a very transitional time for baseball it was new uh the players and everything everything was changing about the game but it also was changing for the umpires Mm. so how so early on umpires were selected from the crowd or from the players (laughs) no 
Yeah. That doesn't seem like a very impartial <laughs> way to do things. Yeah. We're talking like 1860s. From the crowd or Eight, the players? Well, well, this is, let me get to it. So 1860s, 1870s, uh, the, the both team captains had to uh, approve of the person who was to umpire the game. Okay, so it's, they're trying to make it fair. Yeah, 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 like. but it wasn't organized. So in 17, or 1878, the NL became the first league to officially pay umpires $5 a game. Uh, and having a list of 20 men uh, to, like, ump a game. So they've approved a list of 20. I think it was 20 men per city. Uh, okay. So the teams could decide, the team captains could decide on the man umpiring the game. Right. And they say, man, because it was only a single man at this point that would umpire the game. Oh, so they had 20 candidates for one job in every city then? Um <laughs> Well, I guess, or well, it, it might have just been twenty people for the all of the NL, and there were different people from different oh, cities. Okay, but either way, they, they was the first organized group of umpires, right? Um, and they were like, okay, so we pay you five dollars a game, but the team has to decide from the list of people. So they do that, uh, and only one person, and they'd normally sit in foul territory down the first baseline, sometimes at a table. That seems like a not a good spot to take in the game well, if you're you making know what? those They're calls. They're fucking umpiring from the table. Like that's just how you did shit back then. That's you better. just sat at the table, probably smoking and drinking, and you were like, oh, it's safe, whatever. That's why <laughs> all those players had beer bellies? Yeah. Better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, there were so. Um, I'm not an athlete. I'm a ball player. Multi-ump games eventually started in 1887. Uh... 1882 was a revolutionary year for the umpire as well. Uh, the American Association became the first league to hire salary umpires for 140 a month. That's right, Daniel Day-Lewis, Edzie's cat. 140 a month. Uh, they gave them the legendary blue caps and coats as a uniform. Uh, this was also a year that saw leagues bring in a rule that umps could no longer appeal to the fans or other players for guidance on a disputed play. As if they could before. They could. Oh, they, they that could. implies that they could before. All right, what do we say, everybody? Yeah. We're going to ask the audience on this call. It's a bit Safe. of a gladiatorial style yeah. uh, consensus. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you said the word gladiatorial, Max. That was definitely not something I thought would come up in this <laughs> podcast. But it works for what I'm about to say. (laughs) So this is basically the beginning of independence for the umps. And as we know, fans love to hate umps. We hate umps to this day. Angel Hernandez. Exactly. People (laughs) fucking hate them, right? But in the 1880s, being an umpire was not just a thankless job that could get you ridiculed by fans. It was pretty fucking dangerous. So... Let's just read an article from the New York Times in 1884, June 1884. The headline is, Un- An Unpopular Umpire Assaulted. Baltimore, Maryland, June 12th. There is a very exciting scene today at Orioles Park during the first game of baseball, it's hyphened, between the Louisville and Baltimore American Association baseball clubs. Umpire John Brennan of Indianapolis had a very narrow escape from injury. The game was a close one. At the end of the ninth inning, the score was tie, 4-4. to four. In the tenth inning, Brennan decided Summers of the Baltimores out at third base. The ugly part of the crowd took exception <laughs> <laughs> to the decision, and about 500 jumped on the field and made 500. a... 500? <laughs> yes! Whoa, Holy shit. And made a rush at Brendan. One man drew a pistol... <laughs> oh, my God. ...and was with difficulty... Uh, prevented from shooting the umpire. (laughs) With difficulty prevented from shooting the umpire. Uh, The players of both teams surrounded Brennan 
uh, with bats in their hands prepared to defend him. Finally, the crowd was driven back and the game was resumed. The game was, the game was resumed after this riot. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how long it took them to calm everyone <laughs> yeah. down where they felt safe yeah. enough to yeah. save people brandishing ball. weapons. Everyone get back in your seats. Yeah. I want to see the end of this game. 13 innings uh, were money played. on this. 13 innings were played, and this score still remained tight at four, at, at fours. Darkness preventing any further play. Uh, so the fans were upset about that, too. Because obviously back then they didn't have the big lights and stuff like no. that to light it. So when it got dark, so the umpire called play. Uh, or Yeah, and uh, <laughs> he went to uh, leave. So Brennan was carried into the... Oh, yeah. So he was leaving the grounds. An unknown man came up and struck him uh, with a terrible blow to the cheek. Brennan was carried into Holy the clubhouse shit. and kept there until the crowd had left the park. He has to be released from umpiring any more games in Baltimore. I guess so. <laughs> uh, the bit, of, few... bit of a bad taste left in your mouth after yeah. that one. Yeah. The, the article finishes... Taste of your teeth. The feeling, <laughs> the feeling against him here is very strong on the account of a decision he gave against the Baltimore club in Philadelphia, which gave, which gave the game to... So it was a previous game. Uh, this is the first disorder that has occurred at Baltimore, or at Oriole Park this season. Um, this season. Yeah. <laughs> so the individual that punched him was arrested and fined or whatever. Uh, Brandon never umpired never, another game again in Baltimore. After the incident, Brandon was taken to player Jim Clinton's house and before finally being whisked away on the first train out of town. Uh, in response, the Orioles erected a barbed wire fence to encircle the stands and prevent such further incidents. Barbed wire. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um Although the measures were only partially successful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Holy shit. It also led to the expression... Like how bad did they... They obviously want to get to these umpires yeah, in terrible well, fashion. You're going to find out a lot okay. more. So the, the expression to be Brennanized was in the... In the briefly entered into baseball lingo as a result. So it was like when, nice. you know, threatening an umpire, you Brennanizing me. <laughs> it's a nice consolation prize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So umpiring was a tough... A term coined after yourself. Yeah. Umpiring was tough, uh, very tough back then. So only a crazy tough-as-nails SOB who loved baseball and didn't give a fuck would stand a chance doing it, and let alone being successful at it. Okay. Oh, boy. Timothy Carroll Hurst was born into a large Irish family in Ashland, Pennsylvania, June 30th, 1865. His father, who worked as a wholesale liquor buyer before buying a house and or buying a horse and wagon and delivering coal, <laughs> uh, as a kid, uh, he worked picking slate in uh, the coal mine in Ashland, and that was where he learned to hold his own and use his fists. Uh, basically, it sounded like uh, a lot of the miners were a little bit of a rough crowd, and uh, a lot of a lot of fights or a lot of arguments were were settled with fights. So even as like a child working in the mines, he learned how to fight people. <laughs> I'm sure he had to okay. punch a few adult men as a child. So <laughs> yeah. that sounds like a hard as fuck environment to grow up in. So Hurst was said <laughs> to have a keen Irish wit and a sharp temper, as we could guess. Uh, <laughs> First, so an Irishman. Yes. <laughs> Sounds pretty cut and dry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so his first time umpiring happened by chance. Uh, Hurst uh, was playing in a local game, uh, and his friend was umpiring, and his friend had his nose broken. I'm not sure how, whether the ball hit him or somebody punched his nose. and But either way, the umpire quit on the spot or had to leave. 
her step forward to finish the game uh, after nobody else was willing to volunteer, which kind of leads me to think that his friend might have got bopped for, for making a bad call. Yeah. Um, he was paid for a dollar for his troubles. Um, and, you know, he basically loved baseball. He wanted to be a pitcher. And so he was playing second base for that team. He tried to make it. He made it to the minors, uh, but his arm couldn't handle the workload. Mm-hmm. So in 1888, at age 22, Hurst started umpiring professionally. Uh, he described he was described as bandy-legged, sorrel-topped, five foot nine inch, one hundred and seventy-five pound bit of dynamite. <laughs> I love the, the writing. descriptions. Yeah. Yeah. The writing. Uh, he first umped in the Central Pennsylvania League before spending a year umpiring in the Southern League. After the Central League broke up, Hurst moved to the Western Association, where he ended up going from umpire to manager halfway through the year. It was very strange. Wow. Somehow he just got a job managing. That's a quick ladder. If anything, if if anything's ever weird in the 1800s regarding baseball, it's just what I chalk it down to. It's yeah, like 1800s. Baseball. Well, we're, this is a good story right here. So okay. on June 22nd, Hurst of that year, before he was manager, Hurst umpired a game between the Milwaukee, Milwaukee, and Minnesota. After Milwaukee manager questioned one of Hurst's calls and refused to let it go, Hurst declared a game a forfeit by Milwaukee. He was like. <laughs> So Hurst claimed Milwaukee refused to take the field, but Hurst left, and then the teams finished playing the game. <laughs> so it's a little bit weird to be like, oh, they left, but they were still <laughs> there playing after the umpire left. Um, <laughs> Milwaukee so won. He's just the- filling out his own reports. Yeah. However, so he wants. Mil- <laughs> Milwaukee won the game two nothing, okay. and so that went down as a win for Milwaukee, but it eventually went to review, and it was given a forfeit to Minnesota. So it was a strange situation, and this was months later, that has nothing to do with what I'm about to say. So this was a strange situation that eventually would be resolved in the offseason, the league awarding it to Minnesota. But looking back, ethically speaking, Tim Hurst may have had more than one reason to award the game to Minnesota. The next day, he was introduced as new manager of Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) The Minnesota Millers. The team won 10 straight games uh, and almost won the league championship that year. Even with his success, the ownership in Minnesota had developed a distaste for the cantankerous Irishman, and most likely because in the midst of the great season, Hurst had punched out star pitcher Martin Duke in the clubhouse. Of his own team? Yeah. And there was a... There was, Hard ass. Yeah. There was, I had to... There's so many other things of him being a manager that were just amazing. Uh, so Hurst landed on his feet, though, so he was let go. Uh, he landed on his feet, this time in the National League, in the big times. So in 1890, Hearst was hired as an umpire by the National League and soon gained a reputation as someone not to be messed with. Uh, we grew if, up in the coal mines, so... If players argued with Tim, they had, he had no problem ending the argument by throwing punches. <laughs> you laid down the law. Yeah. Players called him Sir Timothy or Terrible Tim, and few players <laughs> wanted to fight him. Uh, he gained a reputation fast, not just for his violent retribution, uh, but also his his acumen on the field and his vast knowledge for the rules of the game. So he was a good umpire by yeah. any means. And it doesn't sound like he would attack people, but if you, like, bumped him, yeah. like, oh... Like, you're getting beat to death on yeah. a field in front of him. <laughs> Imagine, not- like... John Gibbons dealing with this guy? (laughs) Oh, it would be... It sounds like Gibby would be losing some teeth. Yeah. Uh, Sounds like there's a manslaughter charge working in there somewhere. (laughs) So, 
Hurst was a feared retaliator and normally not being the aggressor, as I was talking about, um, but he would love a good confrontation if it found him. A good example of Tim's quick yet violent style of umping takes place in Baltimore. The Orioles, they were in the National League at the time, were known as being brawlers. A runner on first tried to steal second, but first decided to cleat the first baseman, who in turn tripped the runner. Like, So the runner steps on the first baseman's foot. The first baseman trips him. Trips him. At the same time, the batter tried to prevent the throw by reaching back with his bat and trying to stretch or strike the catcher with his swing. So <laughs> the catcher stepped back onto Hurst's foot and shoved his mitt up into Hurst's face. Hurst calmly punched the catcher in the ribs, declared the ball foul, and sent the runner back to first base. <laughs> yeah, I think this guy's a genius. Yeah. yeah. I don't think the batter actually hit a foul ball, but he yeah. was like, fuck you guys. If you're doing that, that was a yeah. foul ball. I'm going to hate you because you touched me. Yeah. Stop being fucking assholes. So <laughs> at the same time, um, yeah. So Hurst Conley punched him. All right. I got five, five. So in another story, this gets a little bit better. Uh, Hurst and Cleveland player manager Patsy Thibault agreed to settle an argument under the bleachers after the game. <laughs> Tabot eventually meet you cool- under the bleachers. Yeah. Uh, Tabot eventually cooled off and thought better of the fight, but that didn't stop Hurst. You know what? It kind of sounded romantic when you said meet under the bleachers. Yeah. So yeah. It's like, ooh, this, they, is, this is getting very interesting. Well, they decided now. they were just like, we want to fucking like, we're not gonna fight now, but we'll fight later. So Hurst shows up, and Tabot does not show He's up. He's not there yet. So Gets stood up for his fight. What What do you think Hurst did? I think he probably sought out this person to have this fight. Hurst immediately headed to the team's hotel (laughs) (laughs) and promptly gave Tabot a beating. (laughs) So he found him and was like, fuck that. We just said we were going to fight. I don't give a shit. I'm a man of my word. um, Here to kick your ass. And by many accounts, that was not the only time Hurst showed up to a team's hotel seeking retribution for what happened on the field. This is an umpire. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I really like how he gave him the option to like give him a whooping underneath the bleachers like in the privacy of that space and yeah. then when he didn't show he's like well now i gotta whoop you in front of your friends and they're all gonna get to see it yeah. <laughs> pretty much so he's a he, yeah he's a fair man there's a there's really a sense of justice yeah. frontier justice yeah. that this guy's got i really like him <laughs> frontier justice during another confrontation this time in washington dc in 1896 hearst got into a verbal education on the field with pittsburgh's jake sensel pink holly and dennis lyons the four of them agreed to meet outside the stadium after the game and settle the argument. Hurst beat the shit out of all three of them. <laughs> Acting quickly, he punched Howley in the face, kicked Lions in the shin, disabling both of them before turning and beating Sensel. <laughs> so he just was... He, he learned a lot in those coal mines, apparently. Yeah. So here's a great... Fuck. Sounds like Mortal Kombat in those yeah. coal mines. National League President Nick Young just happened to be walking past as the confrontation took place. Of course. <laughs> so essentially his boss just walks yeah. by as he's beating the shit out of three players. Three players. Young asked Hurst what all the excitement was about. And Tim said, somebody dropped a dollar, Uncle Nick. I said it was mine. <laughs> <laughs> This guy's quick on his feet, too. I said he had a good wit. He was holding down three dudes. (laughs) Had a fucking joke for his boss. Oh, you're sure that's... Lost a buck. (laughs) (laughs) It's a younger... You're sure that's all? Asked Young. 
It looked to me like there was some kind of riot going on. Did the dollar bill really belong to you? <laughs> Not really. It belonged to Holly, but these two, these other two tried their best to take it away from him, and I wouldn't let them. It was just pink tea. I don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> Chalk it up to 1800. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Timothy, you did the right thing, young smile. <laughs> <laughs> now let's he leave. Just carries on. Now let's leave these fellows alone. Come take a walk with me. So he's just like very like fatherly, like yeah, just stop beating those guys. Just come on, yeah. let's go for a walk. I'll, whatever your excuses. Sounds like this this guy liked a good day drunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in a more traditional uh, player umpire confrontation, Ar- Arlie Lantham once disagreed with Hearst's call and slammed his glove down to the ground and kicked it towards the outfield fence. Hearst took a run and kicked the glove even further. And the two exchanged <laughs> words while kicking Latham's glove all the way to the outfield fence. So like, <laughs> they just took turns booting the glove further and further while they yelled at each other yeah. and just like went all the way to the fence. It's like the yeah. ultimate battle of pettiness. <laughs> yeah. So Hearst, to no surprise, was a decent boxer and also tried to make it... Uh, of course he was. ...with a boxing career. Uh, but ended up... Of course he did. ...as well umpiring or refereeing boxing matches as well in the off season uh, did he fight the boxers <laughs> he probably <laughs> I feel like he did I feel like he'd be good at settling any dispute yeah. between boxers yeah. too yeah. exactly so um, you have to understand also why do you have gloves on too what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> I'm just get just in, in your corner yeah. get in your corner yeah. <laughs> follow the rules and I won't need to use them yeah, yeah. Um, so but he was he was really so he, but he also gained a really good reputation as a good boxing referee as well and he would also go out and referee things like races and like marathons and stuff like that as well so how do you referee that i don't know he's just a trustworthy dude that like just watches i guess is like this guy guy definitely crossed first (laughs) exactly i I feel like he has the he just exudes an aura of fear and respect that he could pretty much referee or um decide the results of any sport and people will be like yeah listen to that guy yeah so boxing at the time was not actually seen positively it was not uh it was not in vogue at the time Mm -hmm. uh so uh they did not like that the national league did not like that they weren't happy about him moonlighting as any kind of umpire since they were paying him and stuff right um no double hat so they fired him in the 1895 season Oh, okay. But I've already told you a story where he beats the shit out of three people in 1896. Yeah, I, t- I take it he didn't take that too well. Yeah, well, no, he, he yeah. seemed Who like a professional. Who did he fight this time? Okay. Yeah, he, he just moved to the Eastern League, uh, and then in 1896, the National League realized how short-sighted they were. I think one of their other umpires died, too, which was a whole other thing that I did. Yeah, anyway. And so it, they were like, fuck, we need Hearst We've got to get Hearst back. Yeah, so... He didn't die, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he draws breath. Yeah. He's good for us. <laughs> he, got his, he got his job back. Uh, that is until uh, the end of the 1897 season. Uh, because on August 7th of that year, Hearst was umpiring a game between the Pirates and the Reds in Cincinnati. An already rambunctious and verbally abusive crowd disagreed with a call Hearst made. As insults rained down from the stands, a fan chucked a beer bottle or stein, I read multiple accounts where it was stein or bottle, um, that struck Hurst in the back. I feel like that makes a big difference. I, yeah. I, I, a bottle versus a stein, like that's 
Uh, in terms of weight of glass? Well, let's go hard. with a stein for what happens next. <laughs> Incensed, Hurst picked up the bottle and flung it back into the stands. The Ooh. bottle struck a firefighter in the face and gashed him oh, open man. above the eye. So, whoa. Yeah, yeah, so he did that. Fans immediately leapt onto the field to attack the <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, this is what I've been waiting for. Yeah. No. How many this time? Yeah. <laughs> well, luckily. The police got to Hurst first and got him to safety. Or, like, vice versa. (laughs) (laughs) Protecting the public from a man who was about to throw down against an entire crowd. Yeah. By all accounts, like, you probably would have just been killed fighting people if Mm -hmm. if the police had not intervened. Yeah. Uh, He was arrested and charged with assault and battery. Uh, His bond was paid and he was gotten out of town before he could be killed. Uh, He paid a $100 (laughs) fine and didn't have any jail time beyond the original arrest. Uh, Cincinnati Papers brandished Hearst, a crook, robber, thief, ex-prize fighter, short card gambler, drunken murderer. I don't know where they were. That was, that's libel. Possibly all true until maybe the last thing. Yeah, maybe yeah. the last thing. We don't know if he's murdering anybody. He did hurt someone. Yeah. Um, many people he hurt, but uh, okay, so... Who knows what happened in the mine? <laughs> well, we're just... So in 1898, he umped just two games before he got a chance to manage in the big leagues. So 98? 1898. Yeah, so this is a year later. Okay. So, so actually, no, I don't. I don't even know why I left that in there. Because by all accounts, so I read one account where it said he managed two games or umpired two games and then became the manager. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little bit cl- unclear because he, supposedly they didn't renew his contract after the Beerstein incident. So as I say, this is a little. That that was one thing that was a little muddled in the history for me. Um, but anyway, so he got a chance to manage in the big leagues with the St. Louis Browns, and it did not go well. The Browns were awful and finished the season in dead last with a record of 39 and 111, 39 wins, 111 losses, mm, wow. which was actually kind of an improvement on their season before, which was, Uh-oh. yeah, the Browns were just, but out. still not good. Okay. So, so the Browns, so it's not Hearst's fault. It's not so. Hearst's fault. Right. <laughs> so, uh, the team sucked from the get go with a four and 14 start from June 19th to August 1st. The team only won Five games, so they won five and lost 35 in that span. Yeah, that's yeah. really bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, they also included two 10-game losing streaks in that time, as you could guess. Uh, in the second half of the season, uh, they posted a 15-53 and 53 record, and they lost nearly one-third of their games by five runs or more. So that's so they're getting smoked, yeah. too. It wasn't necessarily Hearst's fault. The team had been bad for years, and ownership had been struggling with financial and legal trouble. In fact, the owner was none other than Chris von der Ahe. I, he was a German businessman who knew very little about baseball, but whose ballparks at one point included a built-in carnival and a horse track in the outfield. Nice. Yeah, exactly. So he, the horse this, track. Guy, this guy in himself is a whole episode. It is <laughs> an good. absolutely amazing tale. Uh, so Give the people what they want. Yeah. Yeah. The owner was in trouble financially and was kidnapped by his bondsman for not paying debts in early 1988 before the season started. 1898. Ooh, 1898. Sounds like some French. 1888. Sorry. 98. 1898. So this is the year that he's coaching them. So the year starts off for the Browns that their owner gets kidnapped. So as I say, it's not necessarily Hearst's fault that the team sucked. No, it sounds like there's trou
when the ballpark burned down during a game. Jesus. <laughs> during, during a game. A game. Yeah. Jesus. During a game against Chicago. Players helped fans escape the flames by helping them down uh, to the field while cool-headed Hurst and the opposing manager, Tom Burns, <laughs> um, tried to direct everyone to safety. <laughs> Nobody was killed, but over 100 people were burned, and several had leg injuries from jumping from the grandstands to safety. Uh, Yeah. Because of this, the team was sold, uh, and Hurst was out of being a manager after the next year. Uh, And to rub salt in the wound, the man who took his job was Patsy Tabot, the man who he had beaten the, <laughs> the shit guy. out of at his hotel. So Patsy, they, they fired Hearst and were like, we're bringing in Patsy. <laughs> um, I bet Hearst liked that a lot. Yeah. Uh, so at the same time, in 1898, the National League was doing its best to improve the game and stop the behavior of players and fans uh, being aggressive towards umpires. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati owner John T. Bush lobbied his fellow owners to pass a 21-step purification plan to stop the abuse of umpires. The plan ultimately failed, um, the details of which are unimportant, but the first step, it was the first step in raising public awareness of, of the abuse and violence that umpires had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the first in a series of steps that baseball would take over the next decade to clean up the game, but it would also, also ultimately be the end for Hearst. Uh, Hearst would umpire sporadically for the NL over the next few years with some owners requesting him not to be given games in their city because they didn't like him and because of his use of foul language and violent behavior. So they're trying to clean up the game to make it a little bit more clean. And so Hearst was seen as kind of an old fella. Uh, Maybe an instigator to to, uh, the drama that happens. But he was hired uh, by the American League, though, in 1905. They paid better. Yes, Always they did. to capitalize. Yeah. Her, uh, times were changing, and Hearst was suspended five games in May 1906 for grabbing Yankee manager Clark Griffith and punching him in the face. <laughs> so the times were changing. Yeah, but so he started not, getting clearly. suspended for punching people all of a sudden instead of, <laughs> instead of friendly walks down the block. Yeah. <laughs> instead of congratulations there. Yeah. More of like a, hey... You're a psycho. Yeah. <laughs> Griffith might put you in jail. Griffith right. had disagreed with a call at first base and had made the mistake of stepping on her foot while arguing the call. Oh, <laughs> don't step on his feet. Uh, in 1909... Metaphorically or, <laughs> physically. or physically. 1909 would be Hearst's final year as an umpire uh, in the MLB. Uh, Hearst was still making money on the side, moonlighting as an official at other sporting events. On May 9th, he was umpiring a game in New York City between the New York Highlanders and the Boston Red Sox. In the bottom of the 11th, Kid Elberfeld was on third with one out. A fly ball was hit, and in Kid's minds, he beat the throw. Yeah, he beat the throw and scored the winning run. Uh, except Hurst called him out at the plate. In sense, Eberfield rushed Hurst, jabbing him on the, in the side. Hurst picked up his mask and swung it into the third baseman's jaw. Oh. <laughs> Knocking him out. So the guy, like, rushed oh. him, made contact, and Hurst just decked him with the metal umpire mask that he was wearing. Wow. <sighs> but he, that, wasn't his, that wasn't his final game, though. <laughs> It wasn't Hearst's final game. No. What about the guy who got hit? No, yeah. no, he was. So <laughs> is that his final game? El- Elberfeld. Elberfeld. So I, I was like halfway through. If I sounded distracted reading, reading it, it's because I, I realized I glossed over an incident mm-hmm. also earlier. Okay. Uh, in the example of his amazing umpiring, where he punched the catcher in the ribs, 
and uh, declared the foul ball, mm-hmm. the teams or the team rushed out to him at that point. Yeah, where he used his mask to beat somebody unconscious. <laughs> oh my, wow. <laughs> so this isn't the first time he's beaten somebody with a mask with the like face mask that he wore for his protection. You know so, what? I'm thinking that murderer label yeah, might be a little more warranted. Yeah. I, realized, more I realized reading that, I'm like, what happened to the... I guess I glossed over that at some point. Yeah, he... This, so he beats out Elberfield with the mask, but Elberfeld had a, had a reputation. He was okay. not... He was not a, an innocent victim, per se. Mm-hmm. He, he was also known as Kid Tabasco, or eventually would be known as Kid Tabasco, because he was, he was a little he bit was of a shit. He was a hothead. Yeah, he was a hothead. Um, but what happened was his final game for real, which is, you know, in the shadow of what happened in May, mm-hmm. August 3rd, 1909... In true Tim Hurst fashion, it of course ended in a riot. <laughs> of course it did. Sounds Con- like his dream come true. Yeah. Connie Max Philadelphia Athletics were playing the White Sox at home in a newly built Scheib Park. In the bottom of the eighth, in the second game of a doubleheader, Eddie Collins would try to advance from first to second on a botched throw by the White Sox outfield. So they were I think it was bases loaded, the White Sox threw the ball in, uh, and they missed the cutoff man, whatever. So he tried to go first to second. The ball beat him to the base, and it was dropped uh, by the second baseman. Mm-hmm. But Hurst decided that the ball was the tag was applied first, then, then the, the ball, ball was, was dropped. dropped. Even though nobody in this stadium agreed with him, mm-hmm. and like even either teams. Uh, so Collins was not happy. Um, I guess not. Yeah, and this call would be the end for Hurst's career. Uh, at least in the majors. It was a bad call. Collins was incensed, but did not touch Hurst as he argued the decision. What happened next ended Hurst's career. Whether intentional or not, Hurst spit on Eddie Collins. <laughs> oh, a big old tobacco spit, but oh, it sounds oh, it too. Brown and slime. Yeah, oh. yeah, right into the young player's face. So unlike uh, El- Elberfeld, or, uh, yeah, Elberfeld uh, Collins was... First year in the league, didn't have a reputation as being a shithead. In fact, mm-hmm. had a good reputation. Um, so, whether intentional or not, he did it. Uh, Colin was taken in a back and immediately called Tim's attention to the Board of Health Ordinance, which prohibits expectorating in public places. Oh, <laughs> they got him on the bylaw. Got him on the got him on the <laughs> the bylaw. Yeah. Um, when the game ended, several hundred athletics fans. Though Athletics had won the game 10-4 to and the call did not determine anything in the game, uh, rushed the field to attack Hurst. (laughs) (laughs) How many times? (laughs) This is three, I think, now, right? Well, at least in this podcast. So (laughs) (laughs) from the upper decks rained down booze along with bottles and ripped off seat covers. Uh, Oh, my God. A riot took place uh, (laughs) all because of the call in the bottom of the eighth and them, him spitting on Collins, who was a favorite. Members of the Athletics, along with the police, had to once again get Save Hurst from serious harm, as several hundred people rioted, trying to kill him. Uh, on August 5th, Ban Johnson indefinitely suspended Tim Hurst pending an investigation into his actions. Tim Hurst, who coined the now famous phrase about umpires, the pay is good and you can't beat the hours, three to five. His career was in the major leagues was finally over for good. He up briefly in the Eastern League in 1910, mainly worked 
as an amateur referee as well as a sports promoter and lived in the hot Bartholdi motel or hotel in uh, Manhattan. Even he even refed boxing matches at Madison Square Garden. So like his umpiring so days he, he is a, carried on. Yeah, even yeah. After his, uh, yeah. He refused to give up his room at the hotel even when the building was being demolished. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he would. It's not. So, yes, that's yeah. not a surprise. I'm gonna knock this events. down myself. <laughs> By, by many accounts, the stubborn Hearst was the last person to vacate the building before it was demolished, like even after the staff had all yeah. long gone home. Uh, Hearst died on June 4th, 1915 at the age of 49 in Minersville, Pennsylvania at his cousin's house while, while home attending a funeral. Uh, he's interned at the Cavalry Cemetery in Woodside, Queens, New York. That was the story of Tim Hurst. Mm, Tim Hurst. <laughs> crazy wow. SOB. the craziest umpire yeah. I've ever heard of in my life. Yeah. It makes me have a good appreciation for guys like Joe Buck and Angel Hernandez these days. <laughs> yes, he, or Joe Buck. Is that right? Yeah. No, yeah. I knew this. I was just, when I read these stories, I was just like, like, oh, you just, you just, there was just fights on the field. Like, we should just know this by now about 1800s mm-hmm. baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, 500 for that one. Like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, well, people are just rushing the field, too. and like, You know what probably would have prevented it? If the owners put up some fucking nets. True that. <laughs> True that. No, it was... It was uh, umpiring is a, something I opened up for, yeah. We definitely... There's some good umpiring stories yeah. out there that we can yeah. look into for the future, too. But Tim Hurst was definitely... The wildest one. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah, and hard-headed as hell. Yeah, he's like the the rogue uh, marshal who's brought in to tame the various frontier towns. Yeah, that's right. I love his frontier. He's got, he's got integrity. <laughs> he's got integrity, but he also will use violence at the drop of a hat. <laughs> Do escape. not cross him or question him, yeah. even if what he did is absolutely insane. Yeah, he's not afraid to knock your teeth out. Exactly. <laughs> the wildest part was, you know, I put this together, read a ton of stuff on him, and all like it, even. The sounds of it is his time as managers and stuff like that. Like, that could be, like, a whole other episode. Because mm-hmm. he, he apparently had some very unorthodox uh, ways to do it. But he also oh, was... I can imagine. And I, and, and I did not, unlike a lot of the people we read about in the 1800s in baseball, there was not a lot of drinking stories whatsoever. In fact, the only thing I really found on a lot of drinking and stuff like that, like, it sounded like he, he knew how to throw back a few. Mm-hmm. But, like, he one of the, the, the pitcher that he mocked, knocked out for the Millers... Right. Uh, he, he took that guy to like a church to like get him sober and stuff like that, and, and like did some like decent right. human things as well. So it doesn't. Uh, so he's kind of a humanitarian in some aspects, but yeah. like mm-hmm. had a very violent streak. Obviously. Yeah, he just he wasn't a piece. He wasn't a piece of shit off the field mm-hmm. by most accounts. Mm-hmm. Although he was cantankerous and he violent, he would into just a crazy person yeah. when he put his catcher's mask on and yeah. then. Was also apparently pretty crazy when he took it off and fought people with it too. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't believe there's I definitely a few attempted murders in that yeah. story. So, well, and and just the fact that the game would just continue on like after all these incidents, like oh, we're just there fighting. We'll be mm-hmm. done in a. I mean, I guess that still happens when bench is empty nowadays, but like not like someone knocked out on the field. Yeah, yeah. Well, like just dragging them off. You know, eighteen hundreds medicine. <laughs> How? 
how well did these people recover from his beatings? Because it sounds like that's like a permanent brain injury. Yeah, like, exactly. sounds like well, that's why I asked, like, if that was the last at bat for that one guy who got cranked in the head by the by the mask. Yeah, no, is uh, maybe he didn't take a human life, but he certainly uh, murdered a few shortened careers. Shortened at least. Yeah, 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 shortened careers, no doubt. All right, well... Uh, another episode done yeah so follow us on twitter at doing baseball and instagram at doing underscore baseball leave us a review yeah find us on apple Podcasts. follow us on spotify and uh until next time i'm shad and i'm ez and oh and i'm max yeah and we're doing some baseball thanks max so bye bye